As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Our episode today is brought to you by the Vancouver General Hospital Millionaire Lottery, the VGH Millionaire Lottery. You could be a multimillionaire for just $100 with your VGH Millionaire Lottery tickets. You get in to win one of 10 grand prize options, including home packages in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland, the Okanagan, Vancouver Island, or you can take $2.7 million in tax-free cash. And don't forget to get your 50-50 plus tickets, or you can win half of BC's biggest jackpot. It can grow to $2.4 million, so don't miss out. Early buyers win more, including bonus draws and 51 early bird draws. We all need VGH, and VGH needs you. Every ticket purchase supports VGH and the UBC Hospital Foundation. With your millionaire lottery tickets, you are supporting more than just hospital care. You're supporting you and your loved ones who need it most. Order your tickets toll-free at one 445 5825 in person at London Drugs or online at MillionaireLottery.com. 19 plus to play. Know your limits. Play within it. My name is David Guadrelli. I am joined by Harmon Dial, our technical producer. The man at the controls is Grady Sass, and we are here to break down a Vancouver Canucks loss. 6-5 in Travis Green's return to Rogers Arena. Somewhat fitting one might say. Harmon, your thoughts on the game? Yeah, it was entertaining. It was frustrating. It was, dare I say, chaos. Ultimately, so many different angles you could take in terms of how you want to start digging into that performance. I mean, the first period, as we know, was unacceptable. Of course, the third period, come back. And then I also thought it was interesting that as soon as it was 5-5, the Canucks just completely let their foot off the gas, and it felt like the Devils were just dominating for the final two two to three minutes there. It really seemed like them scoring was inevitable, but for me, I just want to start with the blue line. It felt like the Canucks were icing Quinn Hughes and then five (laughs) Tyler Myers and Noah Juleson. (laughs) Honestly, it it really felt like, and that includes uncharacteristically Phil Pronick and Ian Cole, 
right? Cole on the game winner had the clear option to reverse to Heronic behind the net. But for some reason, back, weak backhand up the wall, not to mention earlier in that sort of last couple of shifts he'd been playing where, where the Canucks were in a siege, he'd unsuccessfully done that same backhand up the wall multiple times. But also I think part of the onus should, should have been on whether it was Heronic or, or the centerman uh, low on the play sort of communicate to make it so abundantly clear that, Hey, reverse reverse, because there's no way that puck should have gone up the wall. That was an unforced error. And then with Heronic as well, I mean, he had the bad pinch that led to the Brat goal, which the Canucks just surrendered such a high number of odd man rushes in the first few minutes, which is really uncharacteristic because you look at some of uh, the data that Megan Chaika and Stathletes had yesterday, for example, they ranked every team in the NHL based off how many odd man rushes they surrender. The Canucks were top five in the NHL up there with teams like LA and Carolina in terms of being really stingy in that department. But man, they must have spiked in uh, in that rating after um, after that performance against the Devils. After because the first period, it was it was abysmal in that sense. To start the game, I just don't know how you give up two odd man rushes in rapid succession to the same guy in Jesper Bratt, who, by the way, is pretty damn dangerous when he gets in on those chances. He converts obviously on the second one, but. I actually have a photo of it. I should have uploaded this, uh, but it'll be good for the people on the um, the YouTube or the people on podcast because remember how we talked about how I was going to track high danger, high danger chances yeah, and compare them with natural statics. So I was at the game last night. I was in the press box and I did this. I tracked the number of high danger, high danger chances. And if you're new here, folks, that's my new stat to make up for the blind spots that are in regular high danger chances. Uh, I don't I don't know what to call it yet. I don't think we're sticking with high danger, high danger chances, but these were the five alarm chances, the ones that were really, really high dangerous, high danger on Thatcher Demko in that first period. I counted seven in the first period against him. Natural Statric had four. I counted four in the second period. Natural Statric had five. I counted seven in the third period. Natural Statric had six. So we're pretty close, but if you go by my total here, You've got 18 high danger chances against Thatcher Demko. And it was so limited. So I, I hate to even bring it up, but like people blaming Thatcher Demko at all for last night's loss. Maybe he didn't have his best, but when you look at those numbers, when you look at the quads method here and you see that he's got 18, 18, like five alarm chances against him. I don't know. Every, every goal that was scored was a very high danger chance. Like it wasn't like he let in a muffin last night. Maybe his rebound control could have been better on, I think, the fourth Devils goal, but that's about it. You've got Tyler Myers going into a board battle with Jack Hughes, and Jack Hughes thinking his best option, rightfully so he's thinking this, correctly he's thinking this, his best option is to not go into the board battle and wait for Tyler Myers to make a mistake, and that's exactly what happened. That can't happen at the NHL level. It just can't, and Grady's got something for us Well, you also can't have Zadorov joining... Myers down in the corner and then JT Miller also hanging out in that area and leaving the front of the net completely uncontested. Yep. Eric Call is all alone. Hall by himself. Sorry, that was from Riot Survivor on Twitter. And that but, was on the second goal. That was the second Devils goal. And Grady makes a great yeah. point that the forward also can't come down. JT Miller got buried in his matchups early on in that game. And 
look, he he brought them back into it in the third, which I think is admirable, but you're just getting caved in. And then it's the same song and dance where they go away from the matchup. They go to Elias Pettersson. And he's not ready to do it. Like his line isn't ready to do it. And you're just not going to win games against good teams when you don't have Elias Pettersson going. I know he got two assists last night, but they needed JT Miller to step up in that game. So all the Miller haters out there, like he's the only reason they were even in that game last night. Yeah, it's becoming a concerning trend in terms of Pedersen's five-on-five play. It's also becoming a concerning trend where the Canucks seem to get overwhelmed by star talent lately. Early in the season, it felt like they were able to keep guys like McDavid and the Zibanejad line and the Rope Hints line in check. But you look at the last three really big first lines that have faced Vancouver, Jack Hughes, Devils torch them. Jack Eichel, Vegas torches them. Uh, Nathan McKinnon and the Colorado Avalanche, they torch Vancouver. It it feels like anytime the Canucks are lately facing real superstar talent, which hasn't been very often over the last dozen games or so anyway, the Canucks don't seem to have an answer for how to, sh- how to shut them down. And, and I'll also say this. There was a lot of fingers pointed at Tyler Myers after that performance, and rightfully so. It was awful. One of the worst games I've ever seen from him in a Canuck uniform. But I also think the coaching staff bears some responsibility because Myers spent the most head-to-head minutes against Jack Hughes, nearly nearly nine minutes of five-on-five action. Why is Tyler Myers spending the most minutes of any Canuck player against Jack Hughes? Shelter him. Shelter him. We know, we know at this point that he's not capable of going up against top competition. So to me, the coaching staff, it's inexplicable to be deploying him against against Jack against the Jack Hughes line. Another guy who we think needs to be sheltered, Andre Kuzmenko, who played two or three shifts in the third period. Rick Tockett's asked about him post game. We have his answer here. Rick Tockett was not in a talking mood when it came to Andre Kuzmenko. I'm tired of answering questions about him. We came back. You know, it worked out. You know, Kuzi's got a you know, he's got a fortune. He's got, he's got a fortune. Let's, let's start with that. There are a lot of things that Rick Tockett wanted to say there, as you could tell, but let's start with the basic of forechecking. I don't even know what to say about this player at this point, just because we've been talking about it for a while. He had the two game healthy scratch and you think to yourself, okay, this is the wake up call. This is going to send the message. He's going to be shot out of a can in the next game. Maybe he looked better in that first game back than he had before, but it's same song and dance with Andre Kuzmenko last night. Well, I think Ray Ferraro put it best on the broadcast last night. He's just lacking confidence with his finishing. You look at the power play sort of opportunity he had where he had the puck right in the slot, and instead of firing it right away, knowing he has the type of shot that can beat a goalie from that distance, he tries to make the extra move and get stripped from the puck. I'll say this, he's also been really unfortunate not to at least get a point here or there, just based off the number of scoring chances that he was involved in, even outside of the one that he fumbled in in trying to make the extra move. He had good looks himself. He also set up a couple of good looks as well. I mean, setting up Miller right right in front of the net on the power play. And that's tough because when you're an offensive player who's who's struggling for confidence. You just need the production to start coming to, to, to feel better about yourself. So 
it sucks that even when he is generating chances, they just somehow aren't ending up in the back of the net when they usually do. But this is also the types of stretches that one-dimensional offensive players sometimes go through, where if you're a versatile 2A type forward, when you struggle offensively, it's not as noticeable because you're at least still driving play, you're involved in the forecheck, maybe you're part of the penalty kill, you're able to win board battles, help out defensively, just find other ways to contribute aside from the score sheet. The problem with Kuzmenko is he is one-dimensional, and the way I look at it right now is I would almost look at sheltering him at five on five, especially with the way Nils Hoaglander is going. He should be in the top six now. That was a valiant performance by him in the third period. Great fit on the, on the Miller line. And if that's the case, maybe you have to bump Kuzmenko back Kuzmenko down to the fourth line and then just keep him on power play one, because I don't see another obvious solution to plug into the first unit power play. And that's how you're going to have to work out of the funk. I'm not too worried about the offense because at some point it's going to come back. This is what happens. He's, he's a type of player that can be streaky. I really think that once he starts to get a few in that you'll see him rattle off a, a, a stretch where he's above a point per game. But for me, the bigger picture, or I guess the medium term concern is that he just doesn't seem like a Rick Tockett player in the sense of all the other parts of the game Talkit doesn't seem to trust him, doesn't seem to want to use him in a high leverage role. And that is problematic for me. I had to sneeze there, but you look at what, like when they extended him, right? It was like right before they hired Rick Talkit, if you if you recall. It was like right around the time they hired Rick Talkit. And look, obviously Talkit didn't know that he wasn't going to be the kind of player he would want to play with or have in his lineup. But man, it just with all the, with all everybody in that organization. Now it seems from top to bottom management to the coaching staff is on the same page and it hasn't been that way for a while. It feels like they just missed Kuzmenko. Like they're all on the same page now, but they weren't on the same page when they extended Andre Kuzmenko. So it feels like they just missed. They just missed the mark of Tockett coming in and saying, don't extend this guy, trade him at the trade deadline. Like, you have to think if Tockett had that month with them without an extension, trade deadline in February, he would have said, get rid of this guy. I'm, I don't want him beyond this year. And one of the things that's really obvious, sorry, Harm, um, he's just passing up prime, you know, shooting opportunities. It's like he gets hesitant. There was one play kind of on the power play last night where he walked in off the blue line and tried to, I think, either toe drag or go wide and then take it back in. He's just hesitant. And I mentioned a couple of weeks back, like when he has the puck, he kind of stops moving his feet. And it's so easy for defenders to kind of close in on him because he's just stuck in quicksand. And to me, that seems kind of like a confidence issue that he's just overthinking things. And he's got a good shot. He can beat goalies from distance. You know, he needs to start using that more. And he's actually shooting a little less this year. I was looking at his uh, shots per game. He's down to 1.55. I think last year was like 1.77. So not, you know, that much different. But we all knew the shooting percentage was going to regress this year. But I think a, some of the people like in the summer were talking about him. were hoping that his shot rate would actually go up. And it hasn't so far. And I think the thing that's most troubling with Kuzmenko is 
he's here next year too. So if it's not a player talk, it feels like he can win with. And Jeff Patterson wrote about this over at Canucks Army this morning. You need to find some solution because you can't have this guy toiling on your fourth line forever. Although I do agree with you that that has to be the way to try to get him back. Because look, we've heard every coach say it back to Boudreaux. Boudreaux was talking about Niels Huglander when he said it, but we've heard every coach say it, that if you're going to score 40 goals, yeah, it's fine. You can get some leeway, not not being great defensively. But if you're going to be a streaky scorer or you're not going to score and you're not going to help the team offensively and you can't defend, well, all of a sudden you're a liability. Like Jay Beagle, calling him Jay Beagle, which I've been doing recently, that's a compliment at this point because Jay Beagle was good defensively. Andre Kuzmenko's not that right now. I don't even know what the comparable is for Andre Kuzmenko right now. He's going to turn it around offensively. And I think I agree with you that when we answer this question, the, the title of the show of what should the Canucks do with Andre Kuzmenko, would you be surprised if they scratch him next game? I wouldn't be surprised, but I think I agree with you. Maybe when I came into this studio today, I thought they're going to scratch him next game, and I think that's the right move. But then I kind of talked to you about it more, and I think you're right that the way to get him going, and when we answer the question of what should the Canucks do with Andre Kuzmenko, you play him in those sheltered minutes at 5-on-5. You put him on the first power play unit. You let him get his confidence back in the areas that he's going to succeed. He's not going to hurt you in those sheltered minutes. Now, it's also crucial, and we'll switch to a more positive note, that Niels Huglander last night looked great. Dakota Joshua looked great. But then again, it comes to the question of, okay, so Elias Patterson's line mates are now, and we haven't even talked about Elias Mikheyev, the line mates are now Sam Lafferty and Dakota Joshua. And that's who Elias Pettersson is looking the most effective with. I think we're going to see team day off today, so no practice. I think we are going to see a huge juggling of the lineup tomorrow at morning skate. I think it's going to be a big change. And I think what we're going to see is either a scratch for Kuzmenko or him on the fourth line. Yeah, I mean, one last thing on Kuzmenko. You've got to make sure you manage the relationship because as you mentioned, you have him beyond the beyond, uh, the season. So if you are too hard on him and are constantly scratching him, you're at a certain point going to turn the player off and, and he's not going, you're not going to get the, get the same level of uh, buy-in that's necessary for him to actually make progress in some of these areas, which it is conceivable that he can improve in some of these departments, because even though he's an older player, this is still only his second NHL season. So it takes time to make some of those adjustments and, and that's why to me even just for the sake of the first power play unit I, I don't know who else would figure on that uh, on that uh, unit because I don't love the idea of Hronik as a second defenseman being the medium term answer there and I don't think there's a great power play forward that stand, stands up from the second unit, unit that you can naturally promote higher and then of course what you alluded to in terms of Hoaglander I mean he was unbelievable in that third period just the tenaciousness to win pucks back on uh on the four check relentlessly it was he showed the type of speed energy puck recovery that rick Tockett wants this team to play with right that's the identity in terms of the north south that Tockett wants from this team and especially if hoaglander can continue to eliminate some of the defensive mistakes and, and the puck management miscues, which to his credit, he has made a lot of progress in this season. Then he's just going to continue to 
become a player that fits the system really, really well. And what Hoaglander is doing right now is what Pocket wants to see out of Kuzumenko. But, you know, at the same time, you can't make a player into something that they're not. He's not your traditional north-south guy. Last year, he was much better along the boards and in front of the net. We just haven't seen that this year. Uh, he's far too often been caught kind of on the perimeter. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, passing up shooting opportunities. And he's just had trouble kind of getting into the inside. And I think partially that's a lot of teams, you know, scouting and actually figuring him out. And, you know, he's, he's much easier to contain now. And if you're not producing, what are you doing? Yeah, that's the golden question, right? That's the golden question when it comes to Andre Kuzmenko. Uh, let's not keep him waiting any longer. Frank Cervalli is standing by, and Frank Cervalli's appearance today is brought to you by the Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool Game. Wendy's letting you win real food with your fantasy teams this year with the Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool. For those of you who dream of smoking the competition, Wendy's is rewarding you with weekly prizes that will have you winning. But here's the big secret to lineups. It's all serendipitous. Like Wendy's new limited edition chicken strips and French toast sticks. Sometimes the best teammates are the ones you'd least suspect. Sign up to play Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool to win weekly prizes like the new chicken strips and French toast sticks from Wendy's and the Wendy's app. We will bring him in. Um, Frank Cervelli. Uh, Frank, I lost on the first day. I'm very, very sad to report. First day, Sebastian Ajo to get a point. Look, I can't believe he didn't do that against Laurent Francois and the Winnipeg Jets. This is the first time in four weeks that I made it past day one. So I'm celebrating. Yes. So but, where are you now? Like, have you? Oh, I'm still in the, the mix. I'm down to the last, uh, last 109 people. I, I'm this close. I can almost taste that delicious free food from Wendy's. We're uh, we're only halfway there, though. So I need a Colorado Avalanche win tonight over the Winnipeg Jets to get to day four for the first time ever in the pool. <laughs> what did you pick on Monday? What was your pick? Uh, I forget. I have no idea. I bet it wasn't Sebastian Ajo to get a point, <laughs> which I gleefully told everybody to pick, and I cannot believe it didn't hit. Hopefully, uh, you betting against the Jets tonight works out in your I had favor. Pedersen one night to get an assist and it was like come on man really you can't get one assist <laughs> oh we've talked a lot about Elias Pedersen actually let's start there Frank what do you make of Elias Pedersen's recent struggles like we've been talking about it quite a bit on this show lately uh last night in the game he's they look to him when JT Miller wasn't able to be in that shutdown role and Pedersen arguably did worse so they went back to Miller and Miller cleaned things up but what do you make of Elias Patterson's game right now? I mean, struggles are relative, right? To the mere mortals in the rest of the league, right? I mean, I understand what you're saying. He's still finding a way to impact the game at times in a positive way. It's not the same burst that he had for the first chunk of the season. To be fair, I think that was largely unsustainable. But, I mean, we're still talking about a guy that has four points in his last two games, right? Yep. So, I, I would say it doesn't even really, like, if you take a step back outside of the Vancouver bubble, it doesn't even, like, it doesn't register a ripple with me or probably many others. 
So would you then say that this is more about the Canucks not having a good enough team around him? Because he he he's not playing a matchup role at five on five. Like he he isn't winning his matchups at five on five, and that's the concerning thing for Canucks fans. Yeah, he's still putting up points, but look, we all think he's banged up. There's that too. Um, but he said he's healthy and all this stuff. And I don't know. There's just there's a lot of concern in the market right now. But when you take the step back, is that more than about the Canucks roster construction around him? Yeah, I mean, it would help if there was additional support somewhere else in the lineup that could help pick up some of that slack. And I think the other part of it is um, this, like, I think you kind of hit on it. Like, that seems to be a very Vancouver type thing to complain about. I'm not saying you're wrong, or I'm not saying it's wrong to highlight that idea and aspect of his game that that part of it is is being lost. And to be honest, I was on a red eye last night. I didn't see the game. Um, but for me, I don't, there's not a huge level of concern for me at all. Like if we're talking on a one to 100 scale, I'm at like a six out of 100. Hmm. Frank, looking at the rest of the Pacific Division, the Oilers have won four straight, seven of the last 10. Are they back? I think they're back. I mean, this layoff kind of came at the worst time for them. I mean, yes, it'd be nice to get Connor McDavid some rest, someone that was clearly banged up. Stuart Skinner has been carrying the ball for a long time, and he needs a break at some point as well. So that part of it was maybe a little bit fortuitous. But when you're finally turning the corner on your game as a team, your power play begins to click again. McDavid and Dreisaitl are doing McDavid and Dreisaitl-like things again. The last thing you want is a significant layoff between games. Uh, I think personally that they've turned the corner and gotten into a spot and a rhythm, at least in these last handful of games where they're doing a better job, not just outrunning their mistakes, but they're getting a timely save here and there. It seems like someone like Darnell nurse and the rest of the defense core has settled in a bit under Paul coffee, their uh, new assistant coach. And I think there's a lot of positive trending arrows, but at the same time, they've got a long way to go. And now let's see how they react after this break. Frank, what do you make of the Pacific division as a whole? We saw LA last night, just bully the Columbus blue jackets and absolutely steal that game back after it looked like the blue jackets had a bit of a comfortable uh, three, nothing lead heading into the third period there. What do you make of the LA Kings and the Pacific division as a whole at this point in the season? It's I, I said before the season started that I think it's the best division in hockey. And I think some people thought I was crazy. Hmm. And if you were to tell me right now that the LA Kings are the best team in the Western conference, I'm really not sure I could out argue you. Like, I think what they've got going right now, how complete their team has played the contributions that they've gotten from everyone, how disciplined their approach is. And then you look in net, their biggest bet, Cam Talbot has been lights out this season for the most part, which is crazy to think about how good his numbers have been. And clearly the confidence that exists and exudes from his relationship with Todd McClellan. The Kings are a beast. We know that the Golden Knights are the defending champs and defend as well as anyone. Then you've got the Edmonton Oilers coming. The Canucks are there. Like, I personally look at this division and I say it's an intense, you know, bracket to sift through for, for one, when you get to playoff time. And I, you know, 
we've got a long way to go to get to the finish line, but what I'm seeing from the Kings, I kind of felt like maybe I was a year too early. I picked them to, to win the division last year. I thought they'd kind of take a step forward. This year, it's been an even bigger one, and I couldn't be more impressed with L.A. and what I'm seeing. You saw the sort of, um, you know, Canucks kind of got their measuring stick game last week as well in the division, left some room for improvement. Um, but you look at the Kings, and I'm going, Quinton Byfield's exploding. Mm-hmm. The depth that they have everywhere. Drew Doughty's turned back the clock. Brant Clark is in the minors. Like I'm looking at this team and I'm going, they're well positioned for the next 10 years to be one of the top teams in the league. Frank uh, around the NHL, there's been reports that um, the league perhaps has some concerns about the sort of arena development and facilities related to the 2026 Olympics. What can you share about that? And are you legitimately concerned about how that could impact uh, whether NHL players go or not? I think the fact that the NHL made the decision in their messaging to point it out yesterday as the board of governors meetings wrapped in Seattle, I know I wasn't the only one at that press conference that raised an eyebrow thinking like, if you can like just squint hard enough, you can see the path that the NHL is beginning to open. If at some point they need to pull the plug for that exact reason, we know that the league isn't really fond of going to the Olympics. We know that, Players want to go, that fans have voiced to the league that this is something important, which is something that they've acknowledged as well. But it was so interesting to me for a tournament that it sounds far away in 2026, but when you talk about building a brand new arena in Milan, which is what they're trying to do, and they haven't yet put shovels in the ground, and it's 2024 in a few weeks, that is concerning. and. You know, they've got to make a lot of progress there. There's no doubt about that. But I think both those things can be true at the same time, that the league is rightfully concerned about it, but also may potentially be opening up a door as a way to wiggle out of it. Those two things can can both exist at the same time. Uh, Frank, another thing that came out of that Board of Governors meeting was the salary cap rising to 87.7, I think was the number that was thrown out there. Uh, Just tell us about that, the salary cap going up. Yeah, it's it's not really huge news because that's actually the exact formula that's prescribed in the CBA. We're at 83.5 million right now. And when the billion dollar debt that's due to be repaid from players to owners is finally repaid, which Maybe right now it's it's real close to being paid off at some point in season. And when that happens, the CBA calls for a 5% increase the following year. So 5% on top of 83.5 is, 40, is 4.2 million. 83.5 plus 4.2 million gets you to that 87.7 number. I think the real interesting question, more interesting is, do the NHL and the NHLPA negotiate a larger increase than just that? That 4.2 million bucks is sort of the minimum uh, that you would see be added to the cap for next season. But because eventually the cap will have to be linked to revenue again and revenue projections, you could increase it even more than that. We just don't know what the NHL would want in return in order for that to happen. And you had Marty Walsh on, on a recent episode of Frankly Speaking, just before we wrap up here, um, 
I, yeah, like a takeaway from that that you think is worth sharing, something that maybe Canucks fans, people listening to this show, should know about that interview. And of course, they'll go check it out themselves, but a takeaway from that interview with your conversation with Marty Walsh. First off, it's 40 minutes of maybe the best Boston accent going. <laughs> so if you haven't listened to it, I would urge you just for that. It's it's almost comical how awesome his Boston accent is. Uh, Marty Walsh. Uh, that's 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 how you would... That's how you would say his name if you were from Boston. Um, but it, he was he's really an insightful guy. First off, two-term mayor of Boston, sitting U.S. Secretary of Labor at the time that he joined the NHLPA. And I broke the story on the day that the president was delivering the State of the Union address. And he was, Marty Walsh was really the first person to leave Joe Biden's cabinet. And the news broke on that day, which is apparently a no-no. And so he Mm. was saying on the pod how difficult and awful that day was for him, for the attention that he got at a time when it's supposed to be on the president of the United States. He had to do some damage control and apologize to the president, which he did the following day. He was also tapped as the designated survivor that night. And I don't know how much you guys pay attention to that in Canada, but basically he was the one guy 11th in line of succession to the president that had to be taken to an undisclosed location to sit out the state of the union. And I asked him, was that sort of like being put in the political penalty box for that news <laughs> dropping on that day? And he said, no, no. He said, this was worked out a couple of weeks ahead of time, but still nonetheless, uh, it's a fascinating path for a guy that's really just dipping his toe into the water in the hockey world, grew up a big hockey fan. And um, I think he's got lots of different ideas and thoughts on how to, potentially change the course of the NHL players union that has been stagnant for some time. Frank, good stuff as always, my friend. Thanks for joining us. You sound a little sick, so really appreciate you joining in. Yeah, it's been a grind. Uh, Adding in a red eye last night from Seattle probably wasn't the best call, so uh, (laughs) I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Frank. Much appreciated. That is Frank Saravalli, and that's his only name on this show for this week, at least. Uh, yeah, his, his conversation with Marty Walsh was very interesting. And I do really, really do encourage people to go listen to it. A lot of insightful stuff. Uh, he spoke about, um, you know, wanting a bigger piece of the pie. And I found all that really interesting. And we're not going to break it all down on this show right now, but a really interesting conversation over on the Frankly Speaking podcast, which you can go check out wherever you get your podcasts. All right, time now for the Prospect Roundup, a presentation of our friends at Four Winds Brewing, family-owned and operated in Delta, home to the Four Winds Light Light Lager, a crisp, clean, and easy-drinking beer, a beer for everyone, a perfect beer for before, after, or during the game. Ask for Four Winds Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. I'll tell you what, watching Andre Kuzmenko last night, a lot of Four Winds flowing, a lot of Four Winds flowing. Uh, okay, In the prospect world, we saw this morning Team Sweden release their world junior roster. Jonathan LeCaramacki, Elias Pettersson, the defenseman, and Tom Willander all being named to Team Sweden. That means the Canucks will have three prospects at the tournament all on Team Sweden. We talked about Hunter Brustevich getting snubbed already. Uh, But those three being called the favorite to win the tournament by Cam Robinson. So you absolutely love to see that and uh, we'll have lots of more lots more prospect stuff over at Canucks Army courtesy of our friend Dave Hall
Let's get to anyone else presented by DoorDash. It's our listeners' chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. And it's also our listeners' chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. That's right. For a limited time, our listeners get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code NATION25. That's all capital letters, NATION, and the numbers 25. Offer valid in Canada. Subject to change. Terms do apply. I think your ad read of uh, anyone else is my favorite part of the show. Really? There's just something really satisfying about how quickly you just rattle it off. And I just like anyone else's segment too. So thank you. That means a lot to me. It just made my day, Harmon. Uh, do you have an anyone else for us? Because you brought up yesterday, we talked about the month of November being better than you think. Um, you know, better than the surface level analysis would tell you. I don't know. Like, I, I hadn't anyone else, and I, I don't know how to frame it correctly, but is anyone else just getting increasingly more worried about Elias Pettersson? Like, you can't... Look, we were throwing out 13, 14 million at the start of the year. You can't pay a guy that if he's not going to be able to play a matchup role. You can't. And I know Frank said we're blowing it out of proportion, and we love Elias Pettersson as a player, but you just can't allocate that much money to a guy who is not going to be able to play in a matchup role. You can't. They've tried two games in a row against good teams, Harmon, and they can't do it. They can't do it. That's concerning. But I also don't think that's him. I don't think that's reflective of his actual sort of ability. And and what I mean by that is, look, we've seen Pedersen scuffle at times, scuffle a lot worse than this, and he's come out of it figuring it out. And And also, let's not forget that Sometimes star players go through stretches like this. It sucks. It's con- it's concerning for sure. But Austin Matthews, for instance, of course, won the Hart Trophy in 2021-22. And everybody expected that, okay, everybody in Leafs Nation expected that, okay, he's, he's going to be right there, second best player in the world behind Connor McDavid on a year-in, year-out basis. And then last season, after all those pro- proje- projections and predictions about could he reach... 60 65 goals he was not himself at all uh, at least especially until down the stretch and you know it was specula- speculated that he was playing through a wrist injury and he wasn't quite himself and even this season he's still been racking up points and goals but still doesn't quite look like himself like sometimes this stuff I mean Connor McDavid we saw him sort of working through an injury and up until the last handful of games, Connor McDavid was not Connor McDavid. Leon Drysettle was really struggling defensively. So yeah, I am concerned about Elias Patterson, but I mean, Matthew Kachuk, even I, I want to bring this up. Uh, everybody's favorite winger last season, Matthew Kachuk this season has, especially after back-to-back hundred plus point campaigns, Matthew Kachuk has four goals and 19 points in 24 games. Sometimes this just happens. Like I've listed off a handful of examples right there of superstars that are going through a stretch where they're not playing like superstars. Yeah. And you know what? Like, I think this also, as we kind of brought up during the Frank interview was that this speaks a lot to the Canucks roster construction as well, right? Like obviously PS Suter hurts on the defensive end of the game, but I don't know. It's just, we, we never look at JT Miller as this defensive stalwart and the Canucks keep having to turn to him 
to be that guy for them. And he was that guy in the third period, kind of shifting back the conversation to the game last night where, look, he got caved in at five on five for the first 40 minutes of that game. But then he comes out in the third period, wills them back into the game, hard on the forecheck, laying out guys in the neutral zone. I, I thought it was a great game from JT Miller in the final, you know, 30 minutes, maybe I'd say. And it's just, I don't know. It, it, it's it's weird to be saying that about JT Miller, this guy who has been taking so much flack for his inability to defend. He's the only reason that they were able to even hang in that game last night. And it's such a tough league nowadays, how good players are defensively and teams honing in on superstars like Pedersen. And question for you guys, can you really put him in a matchup role when you have Andre Kuzmenko as one of your flankers? Like oh, McKayev, not, no. Yeah, so, you know, McKayev's defensively responsible and his speed is an asset at, at both ends of the ice. But that's why we've seen, I think, talk it go to some more blue-collar guys like Lafferty. And last night when Dakota Joshua was playing with him, like, you know those guys are going to take care of business in their own end. Because if they don't, they're not really going to play. So, you know, let's remember who Pedersen is playing with here. And, you know, I guess the counter to that would be, well, if he's such a good player, he should make others around him better. And that's fair. But also sometimes, like, you have to have the wingers step their game up. And I just don't think Kuzmenko and Mikheyev have been at the top of their game recently. Mikheyev looks good on Saturday against Calgary, but last night like he had the first shot of the game and then no shots after that yeah you know what like you've talked about the need for a play driving winger so bad and the fact that Dakota Joshua and Sam Lafferty made Elias Pedersen look better last night I'm not this is this is not a, a slight against Elias Pedersen it's actually the opposite it's saying that yeah the wingers probably aren't getting enough of the conversation pointed at them because look Ilya Mikheyev I know he was injured he came back and he looked fine but like, he's not a play-driving winger, and he's not doing enough next to Elias Patterson right now. Clearly, that's how the coaching staff feels. You get Dakota Joshua up there, and he looks better. Like, Dakota Joshua looked good in that spot alongside Elias Patterson last night. Yeah, and most franchise centers have one elite linemate, yeah. right? McKinnon has Rantanen. Matthews has Marner. Point has Kucherov. When... Boston, for such a long time, had one of the best first lines in the NHL. Bergeron had both uh, Marchand and Pasternak up until last season when they split uh, Pasternak up to play with Krejci. You, like, you, I mean, you just have, like, a Rope Hints has Jason Robertson, right? So, Pedersen, with the way that Kuzmenko has been struggling, doesn't have that elite, um, that, that elite winger that most other uh, franchise um, centers do and, and not even sort of like that it's a player that's elite but even for instance like Connor McDavid usually plays with Zach Hyman and Zach Hyman has you know consistently been a point per game player recently um, Pedersen hasn't had that level of help and uh, I mean yeah yes I'm concerned about the top six ability to win its five and five matchups it's a real real concern but I also don't think that we should be reconsidering whether Pedersen's worth a long-term investment or not based off him having a stretch where he's possibly banged up and unable to sort of win some of his even strength matchups. Some really good points in the YouTube live chat. This one from Jesse. Are there 
Uh, Jesse C, are there other centers you can think of around the league that win matchups with worse wingers than rehabbing Ilya Mikheyev and finding his game, Andre Kuzmenko? That's a really good point that you, you, you'd have to go through every, everyone in the league, but right now, I don't think it's crazy to say that Elias Pedersen might have the worst wingers of any center in the league. Like even last night, he's got Sam Lafferty and Dakota Joshua. Like you'd have to go through and make it, you know, do your homework properly, which I clearly haven't, but Bedard, right now outside of Bedard, maybe <laughs> outside of Bedard, but yeah. Okay. I guess he is an elite center, but yeah. Okay. On a contending team. Yeah, sure. Um, As we add more parameters, but the point stands. I think that's the point that needs to be made is that yes, Elias Patterson doesn't look like himself right now, but he's going to need some help to look like himself. Do you at all, I don't even know if this is a solution because he's not necessarily a play driver, even though he's playing really well right now. We all know JT Miller is the engine that drives that line. But do you think about maybe moving Besser to the line with Lewis Pedersen? We saw the lotto line last night too. We did see them. The problem is Besser's fitting so well with Miller right now, at least offensively, that I don't know if you want to break them up. And also, Besser has worked with Pedersen in the past, but he's a complimentary sort of supporting piece in the sense that he's a great finisher. He's not going to drive play. He's not going to set chances up. He's not going to be the one to carry the puck through the neutral zone and add some of the dynamic elements that maybe Patterson is, is lacking right now. So I don't know with, with how well Miller and Besser are, are clicking offensively. I, I almost want to see Hoaglander with them and, and, and stick with Hoaglander, Miller, and, and Besser as a as a trio. But then there's also part of me that's wondering: is is Hoaglander another option in this in the sense of could he be a spark plug, uh, energetic presence in how he's hunting back pucks, not only in the forecheck but he also has the offensive skill to drive the puck to the net to control and protect so well below the hash marks, especially against defenders that are a lot bigger than him. He's genuinely driving offense. He's also another option that you could um you could think of but yeah i mean i am really curious to see what talk it does with the line blender when we um see the lines tomorrow they, they gotta give hoglander and miller a run here because mm-hmm. they looked ferocious together last night on the forecheck um getting in on pucks and you saw it in that goal and also too like if you're gonna be a hard ass on kuzmenko talk it then you got to do the opposite and reward guys who are constantly going out there and rising to, you know, above expectations and willing their way into the battle. And that's what Hoglander is doing right now. Like his puck protection skills along the boards and his puck pursuit ability. There's really nobody on the Canucks, maybe other than Miller, that is as good as him right now. So it's got to work both ways here. And, you know, there's no denying Kuzmenko needs to be better. But at the same time, you know, start gifting ice time to a guy like Niels. Now he's done it with Lafferty. He's done it with Joshua. You know, maybe it's some tough love because Niels is a lot younger and yes, he needs to clean up some things in his own zone, but it's got to work both ways here. I think it has been lately. Like I think talk, it's given a lot of love to Niels Huglander and he's starting to see the things that he needed to see from Niels Huglander. He's starting to see it in his game. And I think last night is kind of the, I think that's the game that finally lets Niels Huglander get that run. With GT Miller. That's just the sense I get. Obviously, you've got Mikheyev and Kuzmenko, who Target's not the biggest fan of right now. It's going to help out Nils Huglander in that sense. But 
next game, I'd be very surprised if Nils Hugliner isn't on that JT Miller line in line rushes and for most of that game. Uh, I also wanted to say even little plays like with two minutes left when the Canucks were under siege, right? They tied the game up. They had the Miller line on the ice. And first of all, the fact that Hoaglander was on the ice sheet in that situation speaks of a level of trust that Tockett previously hasn't had. But I remember there's a puck rimmed around the wall and Hoaglander made the little chip to get it out of the zone, get a change. As much as we're excited about the flashes on the forecheck, the flashes offensively, that little play stood out to me because it may not stand out as a highlight reel or, or catch many people's attention watching the game from home, but I guarantee you that play meant a lot to see from the coaching staff that, hey, this is one of the first times we're testing this guy in a high leverage opportunity against an offensively stacked Devils team that is coming at us wave after wave after we've tied this game up and it feels like we've forgotten how to play hockey. We're going to throw nails out there. Let's see Let's see how he fares, and he passes that test. Uh, Jesse C. asked about Pia Suter. He said, you guys are in more scrums. Is anyone asking about Pia Suter? Yeah, we are. Uh, we keep getting the same answer. He's out. We have no idea when he's coming back. We wish we had more of an update. No, Nobody knows when Pia Suter is coming back. He had a setback is what Talkett said. And they're missing him right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, last night, and Teddy Bluger has been pretty solid, I think, overall. Last night on that faceoff, he completely lost Jack Hughes on his goal. And then if you watch the Luke Hughes goal off the point, like Bluger kind of gets stuck in no man's land almost. Okay. Should I go out and attack him to try to take the shooting lane away? Or do I kind of sit back a bit and try to block it? And, you know, credit to Luke Hughes. Cause that was a pretty nice shot, but you know, just to a lot of pressure, a lot of heat on Myers and Hronik for last night and Kuzmeko rightfully so. But you know, though there was a couple gaffes by Bluger that I think were worthy of pointing out as well. Sinochick pointed this one out. Miller and Besser have an insane shooting percentage right now, over 25%. How long before that regresses? Now, that would not be good for this team. Yeah, I mean, look, Besser is going to slow down at some point. I, I don't think anybody expects him to win the Rocket Richard at the end of the year, although I would absolutely be here for it if he somehow does it. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it to a certain extent over the last month or so where Miller at five on five, like that line defensively going up against top competition has been getting caved on a more consistent basis. And I think we are seeing more and more instances of, of the Canucks not really having a go-to shutdown line when superstars like Jack Eichel, Jack Hughes, Nathan McKinnon sort of roll into town. That's uh, a legit um, a legit question mark. And yeah, they are going to slow down at some point, but I'm not, I'm not too worried about it because to a certain extent, at least compared to October, we've seen at least some of the regression. Mm-hmm. Okay. This one, this will be our final one of the show today. MMA Saka asked, you spoke about needing a top six forward last episode. If you could make a move, who would that top six player be? Who is the play-driving winger that's going to help Elias Pettersson? Well, that's the problem. I don't think it's realistic to make that type of big splash at this point because, A, I don't want to make... I don't want to trade for a rental. This team isn't a cup contender, so it doesn't make sense to trade premium assets. And if it's going to be a long-term fit, then, you've, then you're probably going to be giving up your first-round pick 
or at least some of your top prospects. And if you're giving up that type of massive package, as much as I think this team really could use another legit high-end top six forward, I still think, as I've mentioned before, that you need um, you ne- also need another high-end defenseman. Like to me, the an, another number two, three type defenseman is still another pressing need. And this is part of why it's going to be difficult for the Canucks to take the next step in terms of being, in terms of going from a team that can make the playoffs to a team that can legitimately challenge for the cup, because it's not that you are missing a ton of pieces, but that the pieces you need are expensive to acquire, Mm. right? A number two, three type defenseman, another high end play driving top six forward. And then maybe, you know, and we're talking about long-term needs, not short-term. A, a, a stud two-way third-line center that can take on some of the tough matchups so that JT Miller can just focus on the offensive side of the game. You know, those three pieces would make a massive difference, and that would get you to the point where you're knocking on the door of being a cup contender, but those three pieces are really, really difficult to um, to acquire, and I don't think you're in the position where you're realistically going to be able able to add that mid-season yeah uh Osnuck had a question about Thatch Demko when was the last time he got pulled from a game for performance reasons I can't think of the last time off the top of my head I think the last time he got pulled was because the team wasn't playing in front of him and the coach staff didn't want to leave him out to dry I don't think Thatch Demko has been pulled for performance reasons probably some point last season for performance reasons, like 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 early well, the, the start of the year. Remember the yeah. first game, De Smith had to come in, but that wasn't performance related. Yeah, that's what I mean. No, I'm talking, but last season under Bridger, I'm sure there must have been. But that that no no no. So that's what I'm referring to is I don't I don't call that performance reasons because I'm saying that the team was so bad in front of him that the coaching staff just said we're not leaving this guy out there to dry and we're gonna pull him. That's fair. Like I'm, like I, I I'm genuinely trying to think because. There was that game in Toronto, I think that was two or three years ago now, where there's the gif of Demko looking over at the bench because he was yeah. legitimately bad and in Matthews, that game. Matthews lit him up. I Matthews shot from like the red line yeah. and it was beating I that. I remember watching Demko. that in Toronto. Interesting enough, uh, and, and I'm not faulting Demko last night for the game. Now there's a couple, like you've mentioned, quads, a couple of those you wish he maybe had stopped. But interesting note, the last games he won back-to-back starts November 6th Mm. and November 4th against the Oilers and stars. That's a month ago today. So I think, I think that speaks a lot to the inconsistency of this team though. Absolutely. It does. Like you, you can't pin the blame on him because for so many nights, like he's been the reason why they've either won or hung around in those games. But you know, the, his play has dipped a bit and, and we were going to expect that. Like he wasn't going to rock the nine forty fifty mark the yep. whole season. Um, I'd be curious. Do you guys think Casey DeSmith against Minnesota? No, I think you need a win. I think you go with your guy. Like, I don't, I don't think you go with Smith against Minnesota, but because they got a tougher schedule coming up. Now we've seen yeah. Smith play some solid teams this season and, and wins. So. And they've been getting away from that lately. It seems where they were, fine alternating starts basically at some points this season i don't know i don't know if we'll see it and the games are spaced out like they go thursday saturday tuesday thursday that's kind of my point so i don't know we'll see we'll see what happens uh antagonist threw out a top six forward to acquire sam reinhardt big price but he's bc boy uh, and great i don't think florida the way florida is playing this year they're not gonna be trading him sino chick sino chick pointed this out 
that Demko was pulled in the first game of the season because he was throwing up. So it wasn't him not yeah. performing. It was his stomach. Not yeah, performing. Connor McDavid was really upset about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's when he had like puke stuck in his mask or whatever. Yeah. And D- McDavid's like, get back in there. Get back in there. No quitting on this team. Okay. Uh, let's get to Betway as we close out this Wednesday episode. Grady, pull it up. Our Wednesday Betway bet of the day. Keep it simple tonight, folks. The Dallas Stars are underdogs at the Florida Panthers. A $10 bet at plus 100 odds returns you $20 over on Betway, Betway, Betway. Must be 19 plus play if juiced play. Please play responsibly. We'll wrap it up there. We'll be back tomorrow, folks. Minnesota's in town tomorrow as well. For now, signing off. My name is Dave Gudrelli. That is Harmon Dial. That is Grady Sass. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app.